What's up, Straight Outta Dogtown? This is Dark Days Radio, Season 5, Episode Number 50. I am one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. Hey there, I'm pretty good, yeah, and uh, we're joined by someone else, aren't we, Mike? I think we are. The third host, the third member of the Dark Trinity, the man, the myth, and certainly he's an urban legend, Sandchigger! Hey everybody, how's it going? Hey there. <laughs> and I'm going to say this just once, just once in the show. His real name is Bryce. Yeah, yeah, it is. But we're going to call him Chig all the time. That's fine with me, man, whatever works for you guys. All right, sweet. So, yeah, we've been doing this for a while. Episode 50. Yeah. Yeah, to put it into context, I guess, for people that are listening, um... As they may or may not know, we've put I've put all the shows up onto um, up onto YouTube, so they yeah you can listen to them there, and we are getting listens there. I think episode one's now almost had like two hundred hits, so we're getting people dropping by. And there is, if you were to listen to all of Darker Days back to back with all the Darklings, you've got four days worth or more of content to listen to. And considering we don't just babble on about nothing, we don't really go off on tangents, that's a lot of content to go through. Yeah, kind of is, kind of is. And uh, we're going to have a lot more content in the future, definitely, uh, especially because, you know, each of us seem to have our our one little non-World of Darkness game that we really like to talk about. Chris, of course, you have uh, Iron Kingdoms these days, and I'm getting pretty into uh, Shadowrun. And uh, Chig, you're a big fan of the non-World of Darkness game, uh, Changing the Dreaming. Uh, that, that is technically a World of Darkness game. Mike. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag burn. Anyway, <laughs> no, nah, it totally is. <laughs> but uh, definitely good stuff. So actually, uh, I think while we're in the opening segment right here, why don't uh, why don't we ask Chig what his uh, geek cred is? Yeah, does wow. he actually play games, or does he just read books and then talk about playing games? <laughs> no, I, I actually do play games. Um, I'm not playing any World of Darkness games at the moment. You have a uh, a uh, fourth edition D and D game that I'm running in, set in the Earth Dawn setting that a friend of mine runs, and we alternate back and forth. When uh, he's not running that, I'm running a uh, Fate Core Ghostbusters game. Hey, Chig. Um... I think I gotta ask. In your opinion, which is a better system, the Earth Dawn system or the D&D Fourth Edition system? I'm not a huge fan of either of them, to be to be honest with you. Um, no, I'm really not. But if I had to choose between those two, like you're making me do here, I would probably choose Earth Dawn. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's. Uh... I'm, I am not a Fourth Edition fan. Wow, man. Especially given what we've discussed about Earth Dawn and how, for example, there's only one, primarily one build for each class. Yeah, yeah, I know that's a, that is a complaint of mine, but it uh, it's not trying to emulate uh, an MMO with daily powers and encounter powers and hmm. 
all the time powers at wills. That's just uh, I don't need to have a rotation for my uh, my fighter, you know. Yeah, but it is an interesting matchup because uh, in Earth Dawn, all the classes are very they're all magically based. Even the fighter, you know, has special abilities and powers, uh, just like in D and D Fourth Edition. Yeah, I think that might be why uh, why my buddy tri- uh, decided to convert it over to Fourth Edition because he knows that nobody really cares for the Earth Dawn system. <laughs> so right. he, chose the... One, he chose the one that the group cares for even less. <laughs> is Earth Dawn? Hold on, what system is Earth Dawn running on? It's its own there. system. It's, it's okay. Yeah, from Spasa <laughs> back in the day. Oh, okay, so um, oh god, is it a dice pull system, or is it some percentile thing, or is it some other D and D emulator? It's it's dice poolish, right? But uh, they have really weird. Like Mike said, every everything has a magical power. Even the the fighters have magical, you know, arrow shooting abilities. So I mean, it's it's a different system. It sounds very, like you may as well very... just convert it to Iron Kingdoms. Actually, I think Iron Kingdoms would work better. I'm trying to get him to convert it to Fate because that's my well, uh, yeah. my system of choice, and it can it can futz around with anything. So, well, Fate is definitely a very good uh, story gaming system. Definitely, mm. um, if you want a miniatures combat system, you can't go wrong with Iron Kingdoms. It's so tightly designed that. And there's so many different careers, you can pretty much do whatever you want very easily, and there's very specific rules for what you want to do, no matter what, pretty much. Uh, so, if you want miniature-based combat, yeah, definitely go with Iron Kingdoms. It's, yeah, I would say it's pretty easy to run a fairly large-scale uh, combat scene with a lot going on. So, like, with, oh, I would say, 20 or twenty or more minions or creatures and other stuff and steam jacks all on the board plus the player characters so it does it it handles it fairly quickly once you get people to start making choices rather than dithering about every single little choice they could do hmm. well, i'll have to recommend iron kingdoms to him see if he'd prefer that to uh fourth edition mm. indeed indeed and i think with that let's move on to world of darkness news actually there hasn't been that much news we had gen con going on and there was uh some discussion there but nothing nothing too new um and no books have come out a couple in print but they've already been out on pdf right uh yes i mean I guess the only thing's really going on at Gen Con, and I haven't, I haven't seen if they're up on YouTube yet, and most of the talks by any of the Onyx Path crew who were there. Um, yeah, there isn't really much news from that. Um, obviously, they announced Mage 20, guys. Come on, that's huge news. That is huge news, yeah. They've got Mage coming. And Wraith um, 20 as well was announced, which I think we mentioned in the last episode? Maybe not. I think so. Maybe. I believe uh, it was. Yes. Okay, yeah. Wraith, Wraith 20th Anniversary Editions. Totally going to come out. Uh, Rich Dansky's developer. It's going to be sweet. Just in case I didn't mention that previously on the show. Um, and of course, you know, the uh, I think Rose Bailey had there, um, from what I've read, 
um, some parts of the draft for blood and smoke for people to peruse. Um, and we keep getting some stuff out for that. So uh, the latest uh, Vampire the Requiem blog post is uh, the Auto Dracul, and in particular looks at coils and a, uh, a new uh, thing they've introduced. If I go to uh, the post, which is here somewhere. Uh, no, I can't find it right now. Um, but it's something new they added, uh, not just coils, but uh, for the life of me, I can't think of the term they've used. But um, the Auto Dracul has coils, which is not really blood magic and not really thaumaturgy. It's not really comparable to uh, Thaban Sorcery or Kruak. It's something to do with um, overcoming the uh, limitations of the vampiric form. And part of that now is how your vampire can perform experiments because the Autodracal is essentially kind of a Victorian, you know, occultist, um, alchemists and uh, scientists all rolled into one. So the idea that you can, your character can perform experiments that can then translate into status within the Autodracal and new powers is really cool. So I'm really looking, you know, looking even more forward to that book coming out finally because the Autodracal are wicked. Definitely, I like it. And of course, uh, with regard to the Kickstarter books, uh, Mummy is pretty close to shipping. Werewolf's pretty getting close. there, and uh, Hunter's Hunted 2 will be uh, not far behind. So uh, we'll be finally getting those, right? Any day now. Any day. So, yeah, we could see that finally. Get the print on demands already. Yeah, we get the print on demands. So, I mean, we've already read the PDF. We spoke loads about the uh, book, well, months ago now um but yeah it'd be nice to have the physical copy um and it being a deluxe physical copy of course what else uh, uh the trinity continuum books yeah that's been announced and obviously i guess there's been some talk of uh how they the, has there been some talk or announcement on how they're converting uh scion over to a different system or something because obviously yeah it's the uh... user it's jokingly called the uh, story told system, and it's going to be uh, apparently going to cover everything from a mere mortal to a godlike being, and that's going to be used for both the new Trinity games and Scion. Oh, I hadn't heard about that one. So that's, I guess, going to be some form of derivative system of storyteller that doesn't look like storyteller. It's not going to be storyteller. Well, it's not even going to be storyteller. Yeah, it uh, might use D10s. We'll have to yeah. see. Yeah, I mean, uh, my gut feeling would be try and, uh, yeah, I guess not make it dice pools. And so it kind of, I mean, the easiest, when you want a storyteller system that isn't storyteller, you can immediately look to, mm, let me think, possibly Fading Suns for as one example. Mm. And the other one is uh, Unhallowed Metropolis, because they basically just replace the fact that you have a dice pool into into. Uh, modifiers that you add onto a single die roll. Yeah, I think a two D ten system would be interesting because oh, yeah, you get the nice bell curve, but you also have a fair amount of granularity that you might not even get in a two D six system. But that's all speculation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Indeed. I think that's really it for Onyx Path slash World of Darkness news. So let's talk a little bit about Darker Days. Uh, I think we mentioned all of our major news, which is, of course, that we're on YouTube now, and you can stream all of our episodes there. Uh, four days of content, pretty huge. Uh, yeah, um, we also had 
if people don't listen to Darklings, uh, previous Darkling was uh, the Iron Kingdoms one, where we had Simon Berman on again, and we were talking about horror in that setting, and we're trying to work out when we can do some more Darklings, um, which will involve hopefully getting Doug Seeker on to talk about more about that setting, considering he knows it back to front, inside out. And, Mike, do we have some other Darkling series that we need to finish up? Well, the uh, the Dark Ages for Requiem, we're going to yes. totally make into a regular segment now on the okay, main yeah. show. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk about Shadowrun at some point, since I'm uh, getting more and more into that setting and system. Uh, and that's pretty exciting with a new 5th edition. I'll talk with you about Shadowrun. Yeah, I'm sure you will. <laughs> you 4th edition hater. Oh, we also have um, we also have uh, we another reason to get Simon back on is um, to talk about Unhallowed Metropolis. Um, so that'd be wicked if we can organize that. Um, what other stuff? Uh, oh, James will be having to wait to do his Kingdom Death unboxing video for us because Kingdom Death uh, Monster has been uh, delayed. Um, so the reason for that is quality control on the miniatures. So um, the miniatures get scanned in, and then they make the molds, and then they have to go back and look at the miniatures to improve some of the detail work if it's not coming out as well as it should do. I mean, this is just the problem of going from uh, a resin uh, mold to a, uh, a plastic um, injection steel mold. Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see that. It's going to be now early 2014 when that's going to ship and um it's a shame it's going to take that long but uh, at least it's going to be as good as it can be yep absolutely um which is interesting actually that brings up a point which uh which i've seen raised recently as being a bit of backlash towards how kickstarter works and how um people feel about how long it's taken for these deluxe copies of books or or physical uh, rewards to get out to um, backers for particular games and I think it just uh, represents and like the the thing that I've read is basically people going well if it doesn't get out when they expect it to then there should be some sort of reprimand and it's like well how many of us really thought when we were going in to get Mummy the Curse for example thought it was a pre-order because we all got the pdf before anyone else and i that's what i wanted to see first and then yeah okay people have got print on demand before before any of us but print on demand is going to suck compared to what we all get in the end at least what we've paid for which is a lot is going to be as good as it can be if not better than what you pay you know, from print on demand. So um, I don't know, any opinions on that kind yeah, of... Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely a changing process right now with how Onyx Path is running their Kickstarters. So as you may remember, when the V20 Companion was on Kickstarter, uh, that one came out maybe two months late. And so it was a little bit late, but they did hold back on the print on demand. Uh, and that mm-hmm. was not released until, you know, everyone had gotten their deluxe copies. Um, and it's only been changing with the last few, well, maybe the last bunch, really, like the last year, uh, basically since the Children of the Revolution, that mm. they've been uh, allowing the print-on-demand to be released before the deluxe copy actually gets to people. Um, so that's really just a change in system, and I think 
really just rich made decision that well why are we holding back on print on demand when you know it's just ready to go why don't we just release it and you know i understand some people might be upset about that and that's really perfectly valid um but that's just not how rich wants to run the business yeah um i'm one of those people who's a little upset about that um i'm of the i i get that it's not a pre-order system i understand that and i i understand that we get the pdfs before anybody else and that's all nice and well and good but if we pay the premium to kickstart it to make sure that it's actually going to happen that there to show that there is interest out there then i'm of the opinion and it's just my opinion that if uh they're going to release print-on-demand versions which i know they will they should wait until the kickstarter backers have at least printed if not shipped i mean i understand that I'm, i don't need to get it in my hand but also i don't want to go to gen con and see a book that i'm waiting to arrive on my shelf there is the print-on-demand copy ready to be sold it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel fair to me. And that's Chig's mm. wine of the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And uh, well, we'll see what uh, Rich Thomas has to say about this and uh, what his opinions are and actions are in the future. Maybe he can fix it a little bit. Maybe not. We'll just have to live with how he's doing this. I would say I would say the reason, most of the reason for the change is because it's the same way of... Um, of um, you could be sitting on something that can be sold, that can be, and that funds go towards you know the next slew of products and funding things in the future. So it's a question of how long is it feasible to sit on a uh, on a product. Now the difference is they're not the main difference you can say is they're not sitting on physical product that's in a warehouse somewhere, which is what the problem with the old system would be. You know, with the old supplement tre- treadmill, because obviously you've got to wait until you've got all your books in a warehouse before you ship them for the release date. And to make sure you can make that release date, you're going to have to keep that book potentially months before you expect it to, because you need to have a few months, you know, leeway of something messing up and books not making it in on time. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a case of of if anything, it's more to do with um, uh, you know, more to do with the money and how it how it's flowing and making the most of that really, um, and you know, so that they can get more more books made. Anyway, that's my thought on it. <laughs> no, no, I, I see where you're coming from, but I, I just feel a little a little betrayed. That's that's too strong a word, but that's the only one that I can think of at the moment. We have a few questions. So one person was asking, uh, Gawain asked, one of my players made a deal on the goblin market. So he's talking about change on the lost. In exchange for information about a relative, a friend of the salesman, a lust demon, could use, their, use the uh, person's body uh, as they see fit for a weekend. So the question is, how do I show this player the stupidity of this deal without going over the top? Um, yeah, so what do you think? So obviously a, a player has made a, uh, a choice um, and um, obviously the thing is like teaching the it's the case of teaching a lesson of how stupid that is where you're not feeling like you're punishing the player but the the character's obviously feeling the sting of it 
any ideas on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember seeing this one in the uh, G Plus community, and well, there's uh, without having a lot of background about the character, it's a little tough to uh, to make exact suggestions, but. Um, Obviously, you want to avoid something like, oh, the uh, demon takes over and just goes on some orgy sex frenzy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's obviously pretty over the top and wouldn't really, I think, effectively teach the lesson. Um, you need to make it something that will affect uh, NPCs associated with the character, um, perhaps in a negative fashion or just maybe not negative, but will cause uh, further complications in the future. Um, yeah, I would say it would be if with the lust demon, I think you could... A lust demon is a bit obvious, really, on 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 things that can go wrong. But I think you can uh, you can use it to take. If you look at that particular character, you need to tease out uh, what what in that character uh, is tied to the emotion of lust or the sin of lust, and you you use that event to set up a morality play, essentially. So obviously, something bad happens. But the consequences of that are going to be much later on when, as the character has to come to terms with what they did. And then the, the question you may want to leave out there is, was it the lust demon that did that? Or was it the lust demon acted as a catalyst that allowed that character to actually uh, to to actually do those things? So the question is, who was really behind the, uh, the steering wheel on that um, event? Hmm. I think it's kind exactly of like right. I think it's kind of like um, when you look at say when the Strix uh, possess vampires and possess humans and spirits and looking at you know how much is the monster and how much is the person. Um, yeah. Oh, and then the other question we've got, which is pertains to uh, section uh, part, what will be uh, the new World of Darkness section of the show today, uh, Michael. Uh, Michael asked uh michael jacobson asked question after reading the god machine chronicle i am having trouble making certain games well not demon fit into it can you give us some possible story hooks or ideas for the night for the other nine games thanks uh mike i think we spoke about all all these ideas on how demon fits into uh new order darkness cosmology so we will leave that until we get to that section of the show indeed yep Cool. I think that's the mailbag. Oh, also, people should really send us in more ideas and we'll get some sort of competition going because I actually went into the drive-thru RPG account for Darker Days and we're, we're hitting a... We've got a sweet jackpot there of uh, to put towards um, some prizes. That's right. Maybe we can send out a physical book. Oh, that would be amazing oh, if we could do that. Yeah. All right, good stuff. And I think with that, let's move on over to the classic World of Darkness segment. Classic World of Darkness. So, the technocracy. We keep talking about them on the show. I think it's because, you know, we have uh, myself, an engineer, we have Chris, the scientist, and then we have uh, Chig here, the uh, IT businessman. That's me. That's right. So clearly, uh, technocracy is kind of our jam. And we've had (laughs) two more convention books come out, Syndicate and Progenitors. So... Chig, maybe you could give us a quick three-minute explanation of uh, what these conventions are and what their place is in uh, the technocracy and the Mage the Ascension universe. 
Sure. Um, the technocracy in the Mage Ascension universe began as the bad guys. Uh, you were playing the traditionalists, the mystical people who prayed to a god or sacrificed a goat or did whatever to do their magic. Uh, the technocracy went another route. They see themselves as the shepherds and stewards of humanity, keeping us away from being sacrificed to crazy gods along with those goats and uh, bringing us technology and all the wonders and miracles that come with it, you know, like health care and a uh, 40-day, 40 40-hour 40 work week, stuff like that. Specifically, the uh, progenitors are the ones who are the technocracy masters of life magic. They're the ones who bring us modern medicine and keep us from having to pray away the uh, demons that are causing our illnesses. Uh, they develop germ theory. They have developed uh, replacement limbs for people who lose theirs in accidents and wars. Uh, uh, they, in addition to that, they have techniques that aren't available to the general public that are only for fellow technocrats who can appreciate such high levels of uh, technology. Uh, they have cloning and they have uh, uh, all kinds of crazy uplifted uh, animal type stuff and uh, replacement limbs that are grown in vats. Fun, fun and exciting stuff like that. But more than just being the uh, field medics and the uh, cloning convention, uh, they are the heart that keeps the technocracy together uh, they are the ones who they do they keep everybody on the same page keep it from falling apart and they see that as their role within the technocracy uh, also the uh, the syndicate whose convention book came out recently are the masters of prime and uh, the masters of the uh, primal value sphere in the technocracy what that means is they are the, uh, the lifeblood of the technocracy. They keep everybody on, the, on track. They are the managers and the bean counters and the pencil pushers, and uh, they are the ones who make sure that rules are made that make sense and make sure that everybody follows the 10-year uh, program that has been, that has been laid out. Uh, they are my favorite convention. Uh, they're 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 not. Uh, for a long time, everybody thought that they were just the boring accountant types. That's that's really not what they're about. They're about uh, worth, and not not just of a monetary function of worth, but as a human function of worth. Uh, the more that you help others, the more that you strive toward your perfection, whatever your personal perfection may be, the more worth that you have as a person and the more worth that you provide to uh, humanity as a whole. That is what the syndicate has always been about. Now, in modern times, yes, that's often expressed as a function of uh, monetary value, but that doesn't really have to be what it's about. And that's the, the syndicate and the progenitors in a nutshell. Yes, it is. So we've, of course, got the uh, two conventions book out pretty recently, and uh, they've really shed some new light on these two factions, which were, you know, kind of collecting dust since the 1990s, really. In particular, the progenitors, to me, always kind of seemed like the biotech uh, convention, which um, they've been reworked, definitely, to have a broader expanse uh, of coverage with, with regard to science and biology and that kind of that stuff. 
perhaps uh, Chig or Chris, maybe you can jump in and kind of explain how exactly they are the, uh, the, the central core of the technocracy, how they hold everything together, especially when they seem in some ways uh, classically diametrically opposed to the uh, Iteration X convention. One of the things that's important, and I think what the new um, convention book uh, picks out, which is an important role of uh, the progenitors, is that I think they're very much about the the benefit that they can give to humanity as a whole. That's like a really big thing within them. And so obviously they see that as a role within that can be performed on a, on a smaller scale within the uh, technocracy. And that's part and parcel of just not only healing things in a physical sense. So that's like, whether that's injuries or, or pharmacy and, you know, uh, work against diseases and so forth, but also, um, also in terms of like uh they're the counselors to a degree you know they're the ones that have access to you know the psychoactive uh drugs and um you know know how to do all the uh mental um counseling for people uh and then also i think along with iteration acts i guess they kind of rival in the sense that a lot of their technology filters down to all the other uh all the other um conventions because without them you can't really get a lot of stuff done <laughs> yeah they are the uh the two hardware conventions iteration mm -hmm. x with the computers and the you know ipads and your cell phone that you have on you and all that fun stuff and the uh progenitors with well drugs and treatments and medicine and psychiatry and all that without without that i mean aside from being able to guide others which is what the uh two of the other three conventions do the uh men in black the new mm -hmm. world order and the uh syndicate uh the the uh remaining convention the void engineers they provide you know space exploration and deep sea stuff but that's not really anything that most people see on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah, the iteration X and the progenitors are kind of the twin uh, conventions that are out there that people see on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So the convention book though, um, I think is interesting because obviously it's trying to recast the progenitors. And again, this is quite a lot of what the um, convention books do well, I think is to recast the uh, all of the conventions as less of the obvious mad science, science gone wrong, science taken to its ridiculous limit, uh, bad guys. Um, and the progenitors, when you start reading through that book, are fairly sympathetic uh, groups because the crazy... It gives the impression that the, the kind of the crazy, over-the-top elements of their of their convention have disappeared, either because they're locked outside of uh, of Earth because they were off-world in some Horizon realm or or whatnot, and so the Avatar Avatar storm has got in the way, or you know they've actively gone about and eliminated those rogue elements, and so. They'll, they seem, even though they've got some advanced biotech and uh, biomanipulation and so forth, uh, they're less crazy Frankenstein monster-like, or th that's not 
that's not their one thing. They're they're far more interesting. I think that's and that's also represented with kind of like um, the new uh, faction within them, uh, the methodology, uh, which is I can't even remember the proper term for it, but it's kind of like they're the scientists, they're the the bioscientists that go out there and do things. So they're kind of like you know. Uh, you can kind of think of like a, a Sean Connery kind of medicine man style character that's gone out to find some yeah, the, new uh, the way of agents. healing people. Yeah, the field agents, and they're a really cool part of um, of uh, the progenitors now. Well, they've added those to uh, the progenitors and the syndicate, and uh, even Iteration X back when they released their convention mm. book. Um, traditionally, the only uh, the only technocrats that you saw were the men in black or occasionally if you were playing a, a digital web game, then you would see uh, an iteration X agent who's trying to come and kill your characters uh, because, or a voyage engineer if you're playing off world, uh, because if you are playing a traditional traditionalist game, I guess a traditional mage game where you're uh, 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 an order of Hermes or, uh, dream speaker or what have you, then the uh, conventions are bad guys, and you don't mm-hmm. see the guys who are making the wheels turn and making everything run. You're only seeing the guys who are coming out to shoot you or stop you. And traditionally, the progenitors haven't been out in the field. They've been back making clones or making new medicines for the uh, field agents. Likewise with the syndicate, they've been making toys and you know, getting mobsters up in arms hmm. against traditionalists. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the new uh, convention books have done a really good job of humanizing the uh, the conventions in a way that White Wolf hadn't done in previous generations of Mage. Going with the humanization of them, uh, the one thing that the uh, Progenitors book shows, and I think we said this when we were talking to David Hill uh, previously, is that the Progenitors book really gives a good view of how the technocracy is interacting with humanity as a whole because the technocracy won the Ascension War. They've won pretty much outright. and But the problem now for them is that even though they've won, they're still fighting the last part of the Ascension War, which is the fact that human, even though they've won, humanity isn't accepting that win. So when really all their you know wonderful technology and science and medicine should really be benefiting all of humanity you're getting these large scale you can consider large scale paradoxes occur where um you know you've got a new outbreak of some form of avian flu or you've got uh you know another stock market crash occurring and if anything that all just represents gives you a sense of the uh the frustration of the technocracy and maybe the frustration of technocracy agents at the lower levels because before when they still had you know control and you know all of the uh, upper echelons of the technocracy existing in the horizon um you know they were working as kind of you know this this monolith and so they were maybe too divorced from humanity and now they've got to the point that because of that divorce uh that rift between them that that's why their technology isn't doing what it should do because they've lost that human touch and that's kind of what's coming back into the the conventions um and it's also what you know obviously makes the traditions still 
in some respects more powerful and working between the gaps because they do work on that more personal level. They uh, they actually cover some of that in the uh, Syndicate Convention book. Uh, mm. They say that if they if humanity would just accept it, they could have utopia. Yeah. But humanity is is by its very nature, it doesn't it doesn't buy into that. It doesn't believe that such a thing could ever happen. And because the unawakened have such a a strong collective control over the consensus, they're just not allowed to to make everything perfect. They would if they could, yeah. for real, guys. For real. And that, that sort of momentum with the sleepers is a pretty critical part of the setting as well. Um, that's why the Essential War was occurring, that they're, everyone's trying to influence humanity in their own way. And now that you have one strong faction with the technocracy, well, humanity's already going in one direction. They can only just prod it and try to keep it on course, basically, for their own plan. Right, and humanity's course is not traditional it's not technocratic it's more apathetic it's whatever you know whatever um i think also the the cool thing is in the progenitors bucket i think the progenitors seemed very uh from what i remember reading of it they seemed very uh focused on hunting down the the corrupt parts of uh their their own convention and even uh, of others because they seemed to really not like you know influence of like nefandi and uh, corrupted uh, technocracy agents. Um, yeah. Does the Syndicate book go into that a bit more with their uh, kind of internal witch hunt? In a way. Uh, the Syndicate book has one of my favorite, uh, what are they called, the little micro-convention uh, methodologies, uh, mm -hmm. the Special Projects Division, okay. which, uh, if you'll remember back to the uh, first convention book, if you'll try to remember the first convention syndicate book and not shudder in horror uh, the special projects division was uh the group that started and ran um uh, pentex in the werewolf setting so okay. they were they were dealing with uh the worm and worm uh spirits and all that the uh they were basically um an entire group of uh syndicate uh nefandi and uh, there's a there's a section on hey whatever happened to the special projects division in this latest book, and uh, it boils down to we don't know, they still pay their dues every year, but they don't talk to us and we don't send anybody to find out. <laughs> nice, <laughs> excellent. So obviously, one of the things with the progenitors book is obviously there's a there's a hell of a lot of uh, how they've uh, changed, and I think the progenitors are a fairly uh, easy convention to get your head around of what they can and can't do. And you can understand the methodologies in there because either a methodology is based upon, uh, you know, on whether it's based on like pharmacy and, you know, they create various drugs and, you know, into uh, psychology or you've got uh, a, another methodology that's more, more towards the kind of, of cloning scale of things or one is more deals with animals or one's dealing with more with plants you get that kind of feel that you know within the progenitors everyone's got that kind of pet project um how does the syndicate get updated and how does its methodologies kind of reflect what a sin what you could play as a syndicate agent then oh i got this i got this so the syndicate now is the perfect virtual adept and uh sons of ether antagonist because they create patent trolls 
So just think of it, guys. You got your your small cabal of traditionalist mages, and then virtual adept rolls in one day and is like, all right, there's a patent troll. We got to raid their offices. Maybe, maybe, you know what, Hermetic, just burn them down. <laughs> and, you know, you go from there. No, that, that, that is mentioned in the uh, convention book. They do indeed have uh, patent trolls who make sure that uh, nobody out there is uh, misusing somebody else's patents and ideas that they've gone ahead and spent all their time and effort to to get under their wing and their control. Uh, but yeah, they have um, several different uh, methodologies. They have disbursements, which are the people who manage the actual money in the technocratic union. And as I'm sure you can imagine, a giant global conspiracy doesn't run cheap. Mm-hmm. So they're, uh, they're fairly important. They're, they're the, the big guns in the group. Uh, there are the enforcers who are the actual guns in the group. I mentioned earlier that the uh, syndicate had a lot to do with uh, mob and mob related activities. Uh, the enforcers reflect that part of their history. They are, um, well, they're mobsters. Uh, they do uh, intimidation and blackmail and they'll shoot you if you get in the way of their uh, trying to corner a market. Uh, there are the financiers who are the, the core of the convention. Uh, they are the big scale economists who keep, uh, the, uh, world market that we have here in reality functioning. Uh, and, uh, lastly, there is media control. Uh, they are the marketing arm of the, uh, technocracy. Yeah, anything that you hear about that will try to sell you something, whether it be a Coca-Cola or an ideology, that all comes from uh, media control. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's Special Projects Division, who no one asks about anymore. So in the syndicate book, because obviously, so in the convention book, progenitors we got you know the field agents um so what's some of the the new things in the syndicate book that really seem new anyway compared to the last time we've seen the the uh, technocracy and say guide to technocracy and obviously the old convention books they do give a couple of uh corporations examples that uh, syndicate runs uh they include a whole new take on the prime sphere Oh, okay. Which uh, is more of a technocratic view of looking at things as opposed to, well, this is the energy of the earth and blah, 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 blah. And they call it primal utility. Okay. And what, uh, what's that in a nutshell then? <laughs> what is that in a nutshell? I think that they use the term primal utility because it sounds better than uh, worth mm. in a game setting. Um, it's it's just uh, the prime sphere reskinned for technocratic use, and still so instead of uh, a platonic ideal, for instance, it is. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a way of talking about chi, I guess, is the easiest way to explain it. But it's but rather it's, it's than less, being about less mystical than that, yeah. yeah. But but it's, basically, it's uh, it's how much value how much worth something can bring to a project or to a 
whatever you're investing in, it in. Yeah. So obviously, um, it's another thing to measure something by rather than just its physical worth and its components right. in whatever elements and its other spheres that may command over it. Okay. So I'm just thinking of that in terms of like you can imagine, say, here's one car and here's another, but the other car is better because actually it has a better primal utility. And that translates into when you talk about cars and you can try and you turn the term car into a technocratic uh, procedure. And then you're talking about how much prime you need to to get it to work because one thing may be more efficient to work than another. So it's about how much primal utility energy it draws. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes that's an interesting take. I'm going to have to read it for myself to kind of get into more of the nuts and bolts. But I think I have an understanding of what they're trying to get at there. They also. Um while we're on the subject of cars and toys and all this and that and the other, all the convention books have fun new toys and devices and apparatuses that you can have as a member of that particular convention. Um, the syndicate book, however, goes a different route. So instead of having, oh, well, you're a, you're a void engineer, so you have this nifty spacesuit that nobody else in the world ever has the ability to use because they're not void engineers. Uh, they do have a couple of things like that. They have some really cool credit cards that they, they never run out of money, stuff like that, obvious fun toys. Uh, but they also say, because you're a syndicate and your job is management and your job is efficiency and your job is making everything run better, uh, you have access to additional features in standard off-the-rack equipment. So mm-hmm. if you happen to have access to somebody else's car you can put in your super secret syndicate code and you can Uh, unlock the uh, potential within that vehicle that's always been there okay that's interesting so Hmm. sure it's it's always had armor plating no one else (laughs) just it's just that no one else knows how to use it uh mike any more questions on those two books not really i mean i'm just kind of pondering that uh you know, in the New World of Darkness, for the last couple of games, they've had this Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 kind of setup, where yeah. Tier 1 is very low to the ground, um, very low power level, and then Tier 3 is more global scaled. And one thing I'm pondering about the technocracy and how you could use them in your game or play as them is that they really kind of are the Tier 3 hunters. They, they're a very good way to explore the rest of the World of Darkness on a very uh, global and, and high scale, um, mm. as opposed to maybe you know, the uh, Project Twilight, you know, Special Affairs Division of the FBI. Mm. They're, they're more Tier 1. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do they, do they work as the uh, Tier 3 hunters? They can, but yeah. uh, the, world of, the old World of Darkness, uh, since revised, has tried to get away from that. That was kind of the problem that uh, a lot of people had with Mage 2nd Edition. Mm. It, was, it was too out there. It was everybody, you know, jumped off into the Umbra, and then uh, Werewolf had the same issue, where, quote unquote, everybody jumped off into the Umbra and just stopped caring about the Ascension War or Gaia or what have you, and just went out and said, "Well, I'm going to make my own reality here in the Umbra because I can do that because I'm an Archmage," and that kind of got away from the core concept of the game, the core theme of the game. 
So while yeah, yeah. you could totally do that at a uh, a universal scale, it it's kind of pushing you toward a um, a lower level scale, a, a local or maybe countrywide scale. Yeah, I would say the way they've the, the way to view maybe how to run a technocracy game at a large at a at a high scale but not too high is to basically kind of consider how um how different different oh what the hell's the term they use what's a the regional group uh you know a regional technocracy group called it's a uh uh compound no it's a uh no it's not it's a um uh, I can't think of the term. It'll come back to me. But anyway, so so you've got your regional group, which is kind of like technocracy. Let's say. Are you talking about amalgams? Amalgams, yeah. So you've got say technocracy. Uh, uh, let's say technocracy Berlin, and it has various groups of you know of groupings of people from each of the conventions there. And I think the way to look at it is that though you've got say a group of progenitors there, they may operate slightly differently now to say a group of progenitors in say uh say in new orleans because of their own regional issues and so the conflict there it's kind of similar in the conflicts that you can get when you compare say in new order darkness um uh a covenant in vampire the requiem so when you compare say the circle of the Cronin, say one city to the circle of Cronin, the other. Technically, they're kind of the same, but they have their own regional issues, which means they actually come into conflict. And I, I see that's kind of where the technocracy has kind of gone to now. It's like having, you know, rival, rival regional groupings of a, uh, you know, offices of a of a company. Because so earlier you for... said they were they were cut off from the. Uh... Yeah. The head of the group. Yeah, head office has been destroyed, and now they're trying to establish which of them is head office. And, you know, they're all vying for the same pot of money. Uh, but that pot of money used to be all in one pot, but now is all distributed. So the question is can they all get it, re- you know, focused again in one area, or do they have to live with their, you know, their distributed uh, system? And I think that's far more interesting because then you can, you may have like, one uh, amalgam discover issues within another amalgam and vice versa because you know you've got uh you've got conflict between the two as they think that there's opportunities to there's an opportunity to use say uh, uh the influence or say there's a, a secret nefandi in one amalgam and there's the opportunity that another amalgam sees to use that to finally take control of that amalgam and bring it under its umbrella. And you can do that even without adding in an external bad Oh, no, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they can just be you... trying to screw each other over anyway. <laughs> and you can relate that to, like, rivalry with the whole patents thing. So, obviously, there could be two groups that are researching towards the same thing, and it's a race of who can get there first. So, you know, there could be also... Um, you know, attempts to destroy a rival's research and uh, or steal it. Opportunity for conflict. Definitely. I like it. All right, Chig, what's your ratings for these books? You know, 1 to 10. What are you thinking? Uh, 1 to 10, I would give uh, Syndicate an 8 out of 10. 
if not a nine out of ten. I'd give it a nine out of. T- I'd, I'd give it a ten out of ten if the uh, history section was uh, a little more in depth and covered more than the last decade and the very early beginnings. If there was a middle ground. Yeah, I concur. Especially like that comment about the uh, Soviet Union being atheist just to uh, stick it to the celestial chorus. Like some of that stuff was a little, little weak. Little, little weak sauce there. Uh, progenitors, uh, I would have to rate a little, slightly small, slightly lower on my scale than the syndicate uh, because I think that they spent a little too much time in their book uh, covering stuff like uplifted squid and uh, lizard men. I'm not sure anybody was actually asking for rules to play uplifted squid or lizard men, but they're in there. Hmm. So I, I would probably give that one a, a seven out of ten. Still a great book, don't get me wrong, and it covers more of the history than the syndicate did. So I, I, I'm I'm a history buff. I enjoy that stuff. Um, but uh, some of the the last few sections of the book were, I think they ran out of ideas of to what to put there. <laughs> <laughs> So I think with that, let's move on over to the secret frequency. It's under the stairs. The hole was first brought to media attention in 1997 through the late night broadcast, Coast to Coast AM. Mel Waters, a resident of Ellensburg, Washington, came on the show to discuss a strange feature of his property, a nine-foot diameter hole in the ground of indeterminate depth. Mel came to the show looking for answers. He owned the property for years, and he and his neighbors used it for disposal, tossing in cow carcasses, TV tubes, and even a refrigerator. What was most peculiar was that no one ever heard the object hit the bottom. Curious, Mel grabbed a 5,000-yard reel of fishing line and lowered it into the hole, and the one-pound weight at the end never hit the bottom. Curious still, Mel had tied lifesavers to the bottom of the line, which should have begun to dissolve in the water, but these came back dry. (laughs) Things only got weirder after that. None of his neighbors, nor the previous property owner, knew where the hole had come from, and no one bothered to ask. Only the top three feet were held up by a brick retaining wall. The rest of the shaft was uncollapsed rock and soil. An old neighbor had mentioned to Mel that the site used to be surrounded by black stone columns. Uh, Something like the stones at Stonehenge, but with no horizontal members. Mel had never seen these monoliths, unfortunately. Uh, Stranger still, another neighbor had tossed in a dog's carcass, and a few days later, as the neighbor was out hunting he saw the very same dog, collar and all. This especially disturbed Mel, since uh, his will clearly stated that his body should be thrown down the hole. (laughs) Mel eventually uh, lowered in three spliced reels of fishing line uh, without noticeably hitting the bottom, reaching an approximate depth of 8 miles, or 13 kilometers. One week later, after having been on the air, Mel's land was taken from him, The access road was closed off by concrete jersey barriers and guarded by armed soldiers. The guards claimed that a plane crash had occurred on the property, but there was no smoke in the sky, and no civil or even military crashes were reported by the proper channels. When Mel pressed the issue, the soldiers threatened to arrest him because of a drug lab on the property, a lab which did in fact exist, 
but Mel was there actually mixing herbal remedies. The next day, Mel was contacted by his realty agent, indicating that someone was interested in buying the property, but the man in black had left no name and hadn't even stated an offered amount. Listeners of Coast to Coast AM provided a number of uh, interesting explanations. Uh, perhaps the hole was uh, connected to a long aquifer, but that wouldn't explain the dry lifesavers. Uh, maybe Mel's hole was connected to the Moho discontinuity uh, beneath the Earth's crust, but that's typically 20 kilometers underground, and that wouldn't explain all the paranormal stuff. Perhaps the hole is a hollowed-out vein of iron electrified by the Earth's magnetic field to create a natural time machine. Maybe Mel's hole leads down to the hollow Earth inhabited by serpent men. Uh, of course, the latter three would clearly explain the government's interest, uh, especially given its proximity to the Yakima Firing Center, one of the largest army bases in the western United States. But uh, despite all these real-world explanations, what could we uncover about Mel's hole in the world of darkness itself? Uh, maybe the hole is a portal to the abyss. That's a pretty obvious explanation for it. Um, and it would also be great because it would enable non-mage characters to interact with that kind of setting in a crossover game. But it has its own issues. Uh, how the heck are the characters going to get down to the abyss? Uh, just jumping in seems like kind of a bad idea. Uh, the hole is also useful for Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, perhaps it's a Thunderworm's lair, uh, which the citizens of the town are unwittingly appeasing by feeding it polluted refuse. Uh, the black basalt monoliths uh, are always kind of an interesting thing to run into. Uh, when they exist so far from the ocean, uh, they provide a very interesting image and a strong indication that there's something wrong with this place. Uh, perhaps these act as nodes for instantaneous travel, taking uh, players off to maybe the pyramids of Egypt or perhaps William Mackenzie's tomb out in Liverpool. In a Vampire the Masquerade game with a more apocalyptic bent, uh, this may be the easiest way to maybe access uh, Enoya, the uh, gangrel antediluvian, who is actually earth-melded for so long that she's become one with the earth. And why is the military so interested with this place? Uh, what do they know that's got them mobilized with uh, government G-men and everything? Perhaps the government wants to harness the power of this site to create their own classified version of the Orpheus group. So guys, what do you think? Got any other ideas? Obviously, um, it could be potentially a blurring between um, the underworld in New World's Darkness and uh, the real world. Um, in Orpheus, if we go down the same sort of route, it could be a channel into uh, that leads into the warren of uh, of, uh, of underground tunnel-like places where spectres exist in uh, the underworld. Um, in uh, let's think, obviously in Werewolf the Forsaken, I would say there's the opportunity to say that a uh, not an Idigum, but one of the other uh, creatures that appears at the end of the book, Predators. So like, um, so there's a creature that's this like worm-like uh, spirit. So maybe it's uh, it obviously escaped its underground prison uh, where it'd been placed there by uh, Father Wolf. Um, 
obviously you could easily use it for a gateway to anything, so as we said, a Vernon Gate, or it could be a gateway to uh, a very dark realm within Arcadia, so, it's a, so obviously it could be a Verge or something. Um, and you could do the same thing in Mage, uh, you, you could say in Mage the Awakening leads to the Inferno. Um, but let's be, I mean, it'd be more fun to think of the kind of crazier things. I mean, it could be an actual, the, the hole itself could be an abyssal, uh, an abyssal um, intruder into our reality. So the, the hole itself is part of the abyss, it is an entity. Um, or it is just something else entirely. Obviously, it's existed there for a while, so you know, never know how old it could be, and things being sacrificed to this dead god. That this is this this hole is a mouth of a of a dead god, and it's been there for thousands of years. It's just grown hungry because everyone's forgotten about it. And so, obviously, if you started performing the right sacrifices to it again, uh, you may see benefits to the area. Maybe the crops grow better maybe people uh you know have better health in the area but then in return due to this hunger people in the area in turn have a greater hunger for other things um for the other for the long pig um uh let's think what other games we thought of uh i don't really see how it can work into mummy though it could be a manifestation of the devourer god uh from the uh, egyptian um in mythology. Um, I'm trying to think of the other games. Hunter, obviously, I'm sure there'd be various groups in Hunter maybe interested in it um, to use it as a way of maybe getting rid of monsters forever. Um, the question is, where else does this whole lead to? Um, before the show, I, I brought up the uh, uh, another place in the world that has a hole uh, that has something built over it called Castle Puska, uh, which is in. Think Poland or something, but anyway, the castle is interesting because it again is built over an apparent bottomless pit, but the edges of the pit were uh, where monsters of some form lived, and it was built over and uh, by a castle, and the fortifications of the castle look inward. So maybe this is another the end of another one of those kind of pits. Um, Obviously, we're going to be talking about Demon later, but obviously the God Machine Chronicle is already out, so maybe this is a leftover of a God Machine, of an of of a infrastructure of the God Machine. This is some form of channeling um, etheric energies, and again, there could be more holes like this. After all, in, uh, in certain, I think there's a mound, some sort of hill in China, there's the example of uh, finding pipes that led into the mountain, and they've been there for you know, centuries, uh, and there. So maybe this is similar that it's some form of uh, channeling of energy. Um, what else could we use? Uh, you could obviously use it as a place where various forms of uh, cryptids could come spewing forth. Um, if you really want to take a bit of inspiration, maybe you could reskin the uh, goat mother that, uh, from Cthulhu and use this as one of her orifices where horrible Cthulhuid creatures come from and just turn that into some form of idigot. Maybe this is a hole that's been created due to uh ah I've got it. It's um it's an idigum that took the form of a meteorite to escape uh the moon and when it landed on the earth it created this hole. Um 
I think I'm tapped out. <laughs> uh, well, how about uh, a changing the dreaming interpretation? It could be a uh, location where the native fae of uh, the area, maybe since it's in the, uh, you said it was in the northwest, uh, could be the um, uh, rock fishers or the rock giants. Uh, they have uh, groups who are equivalent to the unseelie fae, called uh, winter fae, who can only uh, harvest glamour from uh, rock features. And uh, both of those groups live in uh, well, rocky areas, such as bottomless pits. Uh, since we're in the old world of darkness here, um, if we're playing mage, it's obviously a node of some some kind. Uh, maybe Ver Verbena because of the uh, uh, the um, standing stones that have since been knocked down and relocated somewhere. Uh, in Vampire the Masquerade, uh, could be a haven for the uh, gangrel bloodline, the Aramanes. Aramanes. Uh, they have uh, a spirit-focused uh, power, uh, so the dog's corpse that was tossed down into the well could just be the ghost of the dog that the guy saw later uh, pondering the weak. Um, in Werewolf, obviously this would be a cairn. Uh, based on the uh, location and, uh, well, kind of the people who are who own the land, uh, I would say if it's uh, a guy in werewolf, it's probably the uh, Bone Nars. They're, they're hill folk sub clan or sub uh, tribe. Uh, but if it's not uh, a guy in Cairn, then maybe it's a black spiral dancer Cairn. Uh, there is a. They are known to live underground and worship uh, worm spirits like uh, the Dark Fungus who could very well uh, be trying to pop out here. And that would also tie into the uh, the uh, drug-related facilities that they found in the area. Ah, yeah. Very good thinking. Hmm. That's what I got. Yep. No, it's, a, it's kind of a weird one. It's sort of a weird, cheesy conspiracy theory, but... Uh... I don't know. I think we got some good ideas today. I can't think of any last ideas for it. No, that's uh, fine. I think uh, I think that's it for the secret frequency. So let's move on over to the new world of darkness. World of Darkness 2.0. So, uh, demon, you got the quick start. Yes. Awesome. It's pretty, pretty cool. I've yet to finish reading the adventure in it, but I've, you know, read everything else in there. Um, and, yeah, I think, um, as far as expectation of what Demon was going to be, um, it's it's uh, met them and I think surpassed my expectations. I was always happy with how uh, Matt McFarlane was going to go with the game, and, um, yeah, it's really really cool and obviously it fits in with um the god machine chronicles perfectly because that's one of the uh the god machine is a big part of uh the game and the setting for it mm -hmm. <clears throat> so chris um 
Maybe to start off, should we should we do like a five minute rapid fire? Yeah, I can do a five minute. If we rapid can pull fire. it off, awesome. Yeah. Okay, so in Demon Descent, you are obviously playing demons who are known as the Unchained, but they're not demons in the sense of a uh, judo Christo kind of Abrahamic religion kind of way. You are demons that once served as angels for the God Machine. So as we know from the God Machine Chronicle, the God Machine is this uh, cosmic entity using our world for its own gains. It's not the it's not God in the sense that we know of God from the Bible or God from another uh, religion. The God Machine is is very alien and is using our world to to harvest what it requires for its own uh, you know barely understood uh, plans. So obviously angels in the God Machine's plans perform certain tasks. They are, you know, spies, destroyers, they protect certain things, they hide certain things, they guide people. And so demons represent what happens when an angel uh, falls away from the God Machine's plans. Because normally a, an angel, uh, once it's, been, it's done its task or it's used, is put into some sort of storage, cosmic storage, whatever that is, or is destroyed and, and returned to some primal state to be used again. Um, and so as a demon, you awaken to, uh, to where you fit in the God Machine's plans and, and you fall from that. You, you have a fall and you, whether you wanted to fall from it or not, now, that means that Demon the Fallen works with a certain theme and certain concepts. The big theme is technostic espionage. And that's a very, very big term. But it essentially means that as a demon, you are hiding within the world and hiding within the God Machine's uh, cogs, its plans, its infrastructures. And you are going to find out more about what the God Machine wants to do and find out more about its plans and use those to your own ends. Obviously, you know how the God Machine works to a certain extent and you have access to abilities that were inherent to your angelic nature beforehand, allowing you to further be able to hide within the world and make use of it. So... That's you know, that's quite interesting in that sense. Um, so the mood of it is 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 very much about Gnosticism and about uh, control versus freedom. Um, so in in that respect, I would say Demonless Descent is, if anything, the bastard child of of Mage the Ascension and Demon the Fallen. It it has aspects of both, um, and you know, obviously the people and antagonists in the game that you're going to come up against will be people, cultists who are working for the God Machine and its and its infrastructures and its plans and the angels that serve those plans. Um, yeah, and you know, you your your powers that you have access to um, represent that. You have powers known as exploits and embeds. So uh, an embed is a, a simple uh, power which is inherent and makes use of of uh, the structure of the world and of the universe as the God Machine has created, whereas an exploit is really a way of saying that you know how it works so well that you can 
you know where the breaking points in, in those things are and you work between the holes. So in some respects, it's also kind of uh, works at the opposite end of the scale to mage, whereas mage, you are hacking reality. Uh, a demon is making use of the tools that, it, that are inherent within reality that it knows of that and that people don't know about, but it also knows where all the exploits are, where all the, the holes in reality are that it can, it can make use of. Um, the obvious comparison then to make with Demon is that if mages are the hackers in the matrix, demons are the programs that have fled the machine world and gone to hide in the matrix. So characters like the Merovingian, the Oracle, and obviously Agent Smith when he doesn't want to die at the end of the first film and returns. You have a few uh, incarnations, as I said, of of a, of a demon, depending upon what role you supply. So these are Destroyer, Guardian, Messenger, Psychopomp. Uh, you have a few agendas. So these are Inquisitor, Interrogator, Saboteur, or Tempter. So what you notice is we've got a 4x4 four four, um, going on there. Um, rather than five by five or six by whatever, if you're playing Changeling, and then of course you've got access to some other inherent powers. So you've got your demonic form, and you've got certain powers that are very material in sense. So what I what I'm going to say there is that um, they represent how a certain concept in Gnosticism, and we'll get back to that. That the God Machine is very much grounded in material things, and so demons when they they uh, show off their powers so they will have a more they have a like a, a more that can eat anything but it's ringed with teeth of steel rather than of bone or anything which really represents how unearthly and machine-like the demons are so that's really just a, a you, i guess you could say is a reflection of of how of what role they used to play rather than the fact they are made of flesh it's representing how they were part of a machine-like entity um and then the other thing that's interesting is the fact that uh, in Demon the Fallen, the main power source for demons is etheric resonance. So the god machine is aiming to uh, to harvest and use essence, because essence is the main thing in the world, and obviously essence is used by uh, by spirits, and is used by ghosts, and is used by uh, werewolves as well in... Um, in New Order Darkness. But demons no longer have the ability to, to live upon this essence and no longer channel it. But they channel the, you could almost say, the waste energy uh, from infrastructures of the God Machine. And this is etheric energy. Um, so, yeah, that's um, a lot of it. Oh, and of course, the last thing is that uh, demons, when they fall... Um, take on the persona of the person that they were given as a cover. And that means they now, before, they were just an angel that had a name and had a job, but it didn't need to eat, it didn't need to sleep, and now it has to do those things. Um, and they can gain new cover identities by stealing other people's lives and essentially deleting them from reality. And of course, as a demon does things uh, and screws up, they gain glitches. So glitches you can kind of think of are like Banes and uh, and um, 
and so forth, which uh, changelings uh, at high levels can get hold of. Um, so these so these glitches take the form of brands and tells. So like uh, a brand is say you have a physical marking of some form, which is or something that you can't do, so you can't consume a certain type of food or you smell of burnt copper and tells a certain habits that you have or defining behaviors. Um, so a glitch is more, a brand is more to do with the physical form. A tell is more to do about your psychology. Yeah, pretty much it. Yeah. So remember how I said Shadowrun was my jam? Nah, it's pretty much Demon of the Descent. This game <laughs> is nuts. And That's I think we're going to be talking about it a lot in the future. Because it just combines so many awesome things. Who would think, let's combine, you know, Gnostic elements with techno thrillers. Yeah. They just did it. And wow. Especially like glitches, for example, are very interesting for the uh, the espionage sort of uh, features of it. But then you just have this really otherworldly feel uh, with the entire setting, which come in with the, the, the Gnosticism. And also, I'm not sure if it's a function of the fact that this is a quick start. So there's not as much detail put in, but there's a lot of unknowns in here, uh, especially with how demons themselves really work that make mm-hmm. it very interesting both for uh, uh, just looking at it Gnostically, but also just uh, for things to explore in your setting. Um, a lot of, uh, like, with... How, how does this aether- etheric uh, resonance even work? Like, what is it? Where does it come from, really? We know it comes from the goth machine, but beyond that, where? Yeah, Lots I of crazy mean... Stuff. There's a lot of things that it it gets to, which is um, I think it's quite interesting because obviously this goes back to the question that we got asked, which is how does the God Machine fit with the other things which are within the world of darkness? And I think Demon the Fallen opens up some interesting uh, ideas and ask allows us to ask certain questions of depending upon which other game you want to play. So say you want to play Mage, but you want to include stuff about the God Machine, and and thus the angels and the demons from the God Machine to be antagonists. Or you're playing, say, a vampire, and you're dealing with um, a certain covenant that talks to the God Machine. Or you're playing werewolf, and you want to understand why the world doesn't do quite what you're expecting due to the influence of the God Machine and how the God Machine is corrupting the balance between spirit and matter because obviously the god machine is harvesting essence and yet is giving off etheric resonance um and you also have then uh, changelings maybe a little harder to fit into it maybe um but certainly i think geist can fit in there just about um and uh, hunter obviously and the first thing to say is that we have to first of all go back to and ask what do we mean by Gnosticism and what certain things are are related to Gnosticism. This also goes back to a lot of things that turn up in, say, Vampire the Dark Ages and the Dark Ages setting. There's all the different Gnostic heresies that were around during those times. And the God Machine represents, uh, I think, a perfect example of of an entity that wishes to cage to create that that uses the world the material world as its cage and is harvesting essence for some particular reason um now in some gnostic ideas that there are is that the god of the old testament 
of the Bible was uh, known as the Demiurge and was actually a failed creation of a god by another god within the universe. And because this god was seen as so ugly and made purely of the material, it was, you know, thrown to the far reaches of the universe. And so it created Earth and, and so forth. And that it then uh, is is different to the God that turns up that you you learn about in the New Testament and obviously what you know, Christianity and other Abrahamic faiths are more about is the fact that they represent the fact that even in the failed fallen material world that the God machine that the Demiurge sorry has created the spark of divinity exists and that's the thing that the God machine is jealous of maybe is perhaps wanting to in Demon the Descent is what it's trying to harvest is to is to gain enough essence to gain all the things it needs to become a truer form of a god. And these are just things I'm plucking out because it it allows you to look at other games in a different way. So if we look at Mage the, Mage the Awakening, we're now asking, well, did the Exarchs who took the thrones of reality and, you know, took the thrones of the supernal realms to and and took over reality and even created the abyss did they did they do that or were they nudged by the god machine so was the ladder to the the, the celestial ladder to heaven actually part of the god machine's plan and actually the god machine needed atlantis to fall because if it didn't it would be screwed once all of humanity woke up and realized the god machine was there but what if the exarchs brought the god machine in probably didn't create yeah. it but made some deal with it to uh, create this infrastructure to hold together that cage. Yeah, it means then you the is the abyss then an, a form of infrastructure, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing is when we talk about etheric resonance, that brings into que- and angels. Uh, it then brings in the question like, well, what about the supernal realm of of uh, ether? Because that's the realm of of angels and etheric energy and prime and does that mean that demons are related to this in some way and is the god machine taking making use of the fallen reflection of the ether to and obviously part of this then is uh, etheric energy turning up and it's almost as if demon is forming part of uh, is related to the supernal realm in that way so obviously there's a question of whether arcadia of changeling is related to Arcadia of Mage, whether the Hissle slash Shadow of Werewolf is related to the uh, to the Wild of uh, the other supernal realm, um, the Underworld and Stygia. Obviously, there's a possible relation there, and then that leaves the Inferno in New Order Darkness and Pandemonium, which is the supernal realm of demons but is more of the true form of what demons should do which is challenge people whereas it's fallen in the sense that it just perverts people in in, in the inferno realm does the demons from that realm and does that mean then that then asks is the ether then uh supernal realm reflected by the angels and demons of the god machine um so yeah i mean we i think there's a lot of lot to talk about what Gnostic means and technostic means within this setting. Um, the other thing that I think it that it opens up the question of is um, how does it all relate to Promethean? Because yeah, here we go. If the God Machine is a is a failed God, 
that that somehow created or has made use of our reality, our part of the universe. And it creates angels who also then eventually become demons, and they have a, a soul of form, right? It's a it's a an attempt at making the soul. And mages have souls that have awoken. Vampires have souls that have been broken. Geists or sin eaters have souls that have become an amalgam of a human soul with a uh, with the soul of a hu- of a ghost. So it is a soul that's become a, the spiritual purest form of a uh, a spirit of death. Wells have a twin soul, well have a soul that's already claimed by Gaia slash Father Wolf. That is essentially it's it's not really a human soul anymore anyway. It, it's already a spirit of a form waiting to become something more. So is Promethean then does it fit into this setting in that there is another entity out there that isn't the god machine that is a true form of a god of some form that is a pure representation of matter and spirit brought together and in order to help humanity and help our reality and screw over the god machine um created prometheans because it can't directly act within our world. And the only way to start directly act, w- acting within our world is to create new souls. And the way to create a new soul is to create a Promethean who eventually uh, gathers together enough Azoth that f- coalesces and forms into a new soul. Because that's what happens in Promethean. You become a new person. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is interesting is because the God Machine is a machine of forms it's, a, it's a, a machine on a cosmic scale because it's using reality to its own ends it is calculating and doing all the statistics and doing all the probabilities to create all its infrastructures and to use all the humans within, it, within our reality are the Prometheans that get created the chaos factor which is also re- represented by the fact that the the polar opposite of uh of uh, of of Azoth is that chaotic form uh, of Pyros that manifests within uh, Pandorans. So, you know, Prometheans I think represent that true form of creative chaos put into reality that could either become a part part of chaos that forms order, or part of chaos that forms pure, you know, nightmares, um, and. The cool thing then, if you think that way, is that does this offer a tier four level of gameplay for Promethean, where Prometheans not only are, not only become aware that they could become human, but they're aware that they could become human and act against the god machine. Yeah, it's interesting like how this entire uh, discussion came about, because basically we were just talking about how um, we have angels with the god machine, but we also have the uh, Kashmilum, oh, yeah, yeah, which are quite, yeah. quite angel-like beings. And how exactly would that fit in? Are they perhaps the uh, creations of an Abraxas, which is in some Gnosticism, uh, essentially like the true God, um, and exactly what they represent? And it's interesting to think about uh, the fact that the Prometheans and their offspring are able to talk to other Prometheans without the effects of, uh, of disquiet and all mm-hmm. that. And you have to wonder, well, uh, perhaps there's something else going on with these newly created souls, and how are they different than those of regular mortals born in the uh, within the cage 
uh, created by or taken advantage of by the God Machine itself. Again, the thing to reinforce is that while another thing is how the God Machine is using reality as well, because I think I think it's it's very easy to take as a literal interpretation in the setting is that it's using it is a machine. I think that you, you've got to think in a more kind of a higher level of that. And yeah, what is it doing with the cage? I really think it is the whole thing of it. It's harvesting stuff to become, you know, to, to uh, elevate itself. Um, and, you know, earth is earth as a, as a planet, as a reality is a focal nexus point for, uh, where different uh, arcane energies can be converted from one form to another. Um, you know, mages can go to a, a node and take mana from it, uh, but a node also, a node or a ley line or a dragon, the dragon lines and so forth, um, uh, also spew forth essence. So obviously things that feed on essence can take it from there. No, also these nodes are places where um, vampires such as uh, the Circle of Crane will go to because obviously they deal with spirits or the Ordo Dracul goes to to deal with, um, to perform their crucibles to uh, undergo new changes to gain new powers of their, their coils. So that's also interesting that how possibly ley lines and dragon lines and nodes and... Uh, all these things and verges, obviously, for possibly even changeling and Avernian gates and all these things, uh, all inter interrelate because these are all things that could be taken advantage of by the god machine to within an infrastructure to uh, har to you know convert and harvest essence that it requires. So there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover you can do. Focusing back on Demon itself, though, I mean, the powers that are in here are utterly cool and horrific in some respects um, and really do represent the very alien nature of demons. They are truly... I think the only thing that comes close to their alien nature is kind of abyssal entities, but where these you know, demons have a... their powers come from per, a purpose within the architecture of reality. You know, abyssal entities have powers based on the fact they want to create absolute nothingness. Any other thoughts? Well, I'm kind of curious what uh, Mr. Sandshaker thinks about this. Yeah. What's, uh, does it meet your approval? Do you like it better than Demon the Fallen? Yes and no. Um, I, it, it, this all sounds like really great high-level you know, concept stuff here, but if I'm playing demon, what do I do on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm, uh, I, I was never a human being. I, I've stolen somebody's identity by booting them out of reality. Do I have to maintain their relationships? Do I become a, a, a traveling bum who just fights against the God machine? What, what's, what is the, the point of the game? The reason why it's, it's essentially called a technostic espionage and uh, is related to spying and so forth is that obviously if the demons do something wrong, the god machine will they will be noted, and so there is a need to maintain their covers, uh, their cover identity. So because the god machine sees them as a fault in its plans and so wishes to eliminate them. Now. In the example characters given in the quick start, there is actually one character which doesn't quite know why it fell, 
and wants to understand why it fell so it could actually possibly return to the god machine and become an angel again. But there are demons that, that actually think the best thing they can do is to, is to actually further descend. So that, that's why it's called Demon Descent, because the demons are looking for a way to, to almost extract themselves from, the, from Earth and our reality so they can fully escape and be free from the god machine. That also then represents a, a polar opposite to what mages are wanting to do, because mages want to elevate themselves so they have enough power over reality to rework it how they see. Demons obviously know possibly what's at the other end and actually like, no, you want to go the other way and fully escape. You know, the game, the game is about escaping uh, the god machine and hiding while you try and figure out how you can escape. It sounds almost nefandic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing the this bad what... guys from the original mage. <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of nefandic in that sense, but they're not... They, they, want to, they want this descent, but I don't think... They, they want to bring reality down with them. They want to... Well, some of them might, obviously, but some of them just want to get away um, and escape. And they, they, they have quite interesting abilities in there. Like, they can have... They can they they can actually give a perfect lie to a human because they know how humans work. They so there's this very built-in concept that because they're built by a machine, they they can make use of their machine-like nature to exploit how reality works and how certain things work. So they know if they say the right things, they can hide and and people won't notice them. Um, so obviously, if I go back to um, a description of of, uh, of uh, what it gives in here, um, it says, "What is the God Machine? It it's a whether it's a literal machine or surrounding, infiltrating, and encompassing the world. Uh, some demons suspect that the whole of darkness might be the God Machine, while others believe it's a function of the universe that serves itself rather than its original purpose." Uh, others believe the God Machine is a parasite upon the world. So obviously that's a very big question. Um, and there's the idea that you can see its gears, whether those are actual gears or they're uh, gears in the sense of a, kind of a more of a metaphor. Um, what does it want? The God Machine doesn't want to communicate with any mind on a scale of a demon or human. Uh, even the angels only know whatever mission it burns into them, uh, whether they're set whenever they're sent out into the world. As far as any demon can tell, the god machine wants to perpetuate its own existence and thus the status quo. So, you know, the god machine has this huge plan, which is, you just can't comprehend. Um, and then, how does it want to do it? Obviously, it has all these infrastructures that it brings into play. So infrastructures is like bringing the right people, the right resources, and lots of great examples of infrastructures that are actually in the God Machine Chronicles. So even with this quick start and the God Machine Chronicles book, you can actually already start playing quite a a good Demon the Fallen Chronicle where you use the characters in this quick start. Then there's the question of the fall. Angels begin as unthinking, obedient uh, creatures that follow director, director, uh, directives and principles. And between missions, you know, it disassembles them and scrubs them down. And when they're torn from the god machine's control, a fallen demon experiences a tumult of a 
new emotions and thoughts because obviously it's now free to to feel like a human that it was made to look like so then there's the question here that a demon to a certain extent has possibly uh manifested a portion of a human soul in becoming free because it has the shell ready to to for one to exist within it the main thing for for a demon is uh to survive and be vigilant over signs of angels that find them so it's all about hiding it's really about hiding in possibly in the same it's in that respect kind of similar to promethean because obviously prometheans want to hide because they don't want to you know cause trouble for themselves because people will hate them on sight whereas demons need to hide because things are literally hunting after them uh, and it says here, you know, demons will want to hide from the god machine, but others may want to hijack infrastructures and still need cover identities. Um, and because they still cover identities, it means they have a very interesting, uh, they take on kind of like shadow names because they reflect what they do rather than th the name of the cover identity that they currently hold. Yeah, there's there's a lot there and there's a lot still to be revealed about what is, I guess, what is the final end goal? Because within Changeling, Changelings could become so powerful that they could become, you know, true fae themselves. In Mage, you can become so powerful that, you know, you transcend reality itself and become a rival to the Exarchs themselves or become an Exarch and, you know, sit on the thrones with them. Uh, Werewolf, Werewolf's a weird one. When you get more powerful, you start bleeding off lots and lots of essence. So I think that represents the fact that you become such a creature of of spirit that you've basically transcended your physical body. Mm -hmm. Geist is fairly obvious that there comes a point where you've had so many, not reincarnations, but you've come back from death so many times that your Geist has achieved what it wanted with you and you finally die or you survive and you know you carry on without a geist with with you anymore so yeah it'd be interesting to see what the end goal is for for demon because i think that's the interesting thing about new world of darkness you can actually play a long-term game that does have a, a kind of a there is a conclusion that you could play towards that's inherent with the game yeah and uh, an ascension or descension i guess in the take in the case of demons yeah uh, I mean, it could be the fact that you descend. So, yeah, as I said, I think there's this idea of dissension to flee reality is kind of interesting. Hmm. Interesting. It's pretty neat, and uh, I'll be excited to see what uh, what else we learn with the core book. I was just going to quickly go over some of the characters they give in the quick place. So you've got like an architect who uh, you know worked in construction and. Uh, he is a psychopomp, so he's all about guiding people. So he used to be, um, he used to guide people with with what he built, um, and he has a few interesting embeds and exploits. Like he can become living shadow. He can he leaves no forensic traces. Uh, he can do various tricks with light. He has demonic forms that allow him to have. Uh, uh, has electric jolts he can see electricity uh, he can cause a, uh, f a fire to emanate from his body um, 
cause spatial distortion so he can take a two-dimensional form um uh there's the musician character who's a, a messenger and is an integrator so he wants to reintegrate with the god machine and again can communicate with animals uh can cause a, a swarm of animals uh to erupt a uh, swarm of creatures you know, flies and worms to erupt from his body and Ooh. attack someone uh can create in his demonic form causes an emp field a frost aura has uh mirrored skin uh, so there's also there's a lot of powers that come with their like demonic forms um there's the nice guy character who's a big who was an office worker but wasn't you know was just did his job and so forth but is an incarnation as a destroyer um uh so you were meant to pre- prevent something by destroying something and uh again they've got like powers like devil's advocate so they can cause disagreements. They can cause things to be quieted. They have a demonic form that has a barbed tail and a blade hand and a cavernous maw. Um, and yeah, and just there's more. So there's there's a lot there in the quick start. There's a freaking load. And like again, with the same with the vampire, the requiem quick start, you've pretty much got uh, a, a very good condensed form of the World of Darkness rules with the God Machine rules on top. I, I do like that uh, rather than being a traditional uh, Judeo-Christian Muslim kind of uh, demon here, they seem to be going more toward the computer term where it's just a program that runs in the background all by itself instead of something that you're actively in control of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a little afraid that uh, people might think that's a little bit of a bait and switch. You're like, hey, let's play demon. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. sweet. And then you're like, uh, yeah, you're like a program, a cog in the machine. I kind of like that, though. It's it's, uh, it's a different oh, take on things. It definitely is. I definitely but is. But it, it plays into what Gnosticism is about better, because the idea of a computer program, though, works into the ideas of platonic reality. So platonic reality is the idea that at the high level, you have mathematical constructs and in the material world those mathematical constructs become reality and that's what a computer is really in some respects a program becomes through acting through things becomes a reality in what it performs and does that's also um that's also kind of similar to the way you can view uh, to the uh, virtual adepts paradigm in mage mm-hmm. and it still fits within gnosticism still fits with with Christianity and Abrahamic things, because obviously there is Gnostic Christianity as a form, but also it has link. It has greater links to Gnosticism as it appears within like uh, Greek and Roman mystery cults and uh, Zoroastrianism and Neoplatonism and so forth. So it really just it it just blew open. Uh, I think what it's done is it's blown open the door to. To the the definition of what a demon is, and a demon is not just, you know, a guy a, a guy in red with horns and a pointy stick. Just that one splat. Mm-hmm. Just that one splat. Yeah. Awesome. And that is Demon of the Descent. All right, guys. I think that's it for New World of Darkness, and um, let's move on over to uh, closing remarks. Uh, do we have anything else we need to really say for the show? Not really. I don't think so. Sorry, that was just my cat going mad. Um, 
Uh, no, I think that's everything. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll learn about Demon, more about Demon soon, um, and we can talk about it more. Um, what do we want to talk about on the next show? Are we going to finally do this Requiem for uh, Dark Ages Vampire? Yes, unless yeah, another we... World of Darkness quick start comes out, I think we're going <laughs> to do it. Yeah, we'll do that one. And what else we got from Old World of Darkness that's coming up that we need to look at? I don't know. Hey, Trig, want to talk about Changeling? Yeah, that'll be good. I suppose we could do that. I've, I've talked about it a little bit in the past. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Definitely. Awesome. So, yeah, we're Darker Days Radio. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Darker Days Radio. We're on Twitter as at Darker Days Radio. We're on G+. Just search for the Darker Days Radio community where a lot of discussion goes on. And, uh, of course, we have people running games. I really need to run my uh, Tremere Chronicles some more. Totally going to do that. Right, Chig? It's on the to-do list. Yeah, it is. I think I will be organizing in the next month, I think, Um, because I want to run this New Order Darkness uh, God Machine Chronicles rule set uh, game. So I might do it as a hangout game with, uh, if I can get James on board for it, and I think Sam wants to play in it, she'll play in it, and Mike, if you want to take part in it, because then we've got enough people that are, and Jiggy as well, you know, we've got enough people that are aware of the rules, the basic new you know, World Dance rules, and then the real trick will be showing how the God Machine Chronicle rule set works on top of it. Sure thing. We'll, we'll talk about that. And also, I wanted to point out that uh, Aaron Dawson's going to be running a Wraith the Oblivion Chronicle on G+. So search for Wraith in the Motor City or go to the Darker Days uh, G+, community and look in the events to check it out. I think there's one spot left, so definitely check that out. It's going to be uh, in October, October 19th. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and obviously we'll just sort out more Dark Queens as they turn up. And if anyone's got topics for us to talk about in particular, um, that'd be great. I think I need to talk to Pete and do another Fading Suns Darkling at some point. Huh. Yeah, that'd be good. Oh, and also at the end of October is Essen's Spiel. So I will be there. I plan on going there on the Thursday. Yeah, I'm going to take a day off work and go there on Thursday. And hopefully I will get find some people to do any interesting interviews with, if there's anything cool kind of role-play-wise. Though I think I'll mostly be keeping my eye out for anything interesting that turns up board game-wise or, uh, or uh, wargaming-wise. Um, so, yeah. So I'll be there. Um, yeah. Sweet. All right. That's it for this episode. Everyone, good night. So tonight we're going to talk about Mel's Hole. And now that I've actually said that out loud, that sounds wicked awkward. (laughs) Go on. <laughs> the hole was first brought to media. Uh... It's great when you get started and there's a typo right there. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, serious. I'm focused now. I'm focused. I'm muting my microphone so I can laugh at Mel's hole.